Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. Well, hi there and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson. And I'm Ulf Lonegren. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our episodes with some of the most interesting and influential people in the blockchain space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by Elliot Hill, Communications Director for Veracity. Based in the mountains of Snedonia in northwestern Wales, Elliot has been in the crypto space since 2016 and previously worked with Cardano Foundation, Chainlink, and several other projects. On January 1st of this year, Elliot joined Veracity, which is on a mission to significantly increase engagement and monetization for video publishers on any platform via Vera Esports, Vera Wallet, and Vera Views. Elliot, welcome to Show Me the Crypto. Hey guys, it's really great to be here. I uh, love that intro. Um, usually, like when I go on podcasts like this, people just say, "Here's Elliot from London," and uh, <laughs> I know the UK is pretty small, but we actually do have more places than London. Uh, so it's always good when someone, yeah, recognizes <laughs> Wales. Um, I'm actually from the UK's second city, Birmingham, um, but I've lived in Wales for ten years. So yeah, it's it's cool. Thanks for that shout out. It's really great to join you today, and. Uh, yeah, speak to you from across the pond. Yeah, and if I would have screwed that one up, I would have gotten in trouble because my fiance is from England near Liverpool. So she makes sure that I know at least some geography over there. <laughs> but that that's hilarious. Let's let's jump in. You know, we're gonna get into all things veracity, but to start, I'd love to know what was your gateway drug into the crypto space? How did you discover this? Uh, that's a really good, uh, good way to phrase it, gateway drug. Um, so, I mean, I've been involved in crypto since like 2016, probably been reading since 2015, but it was always one of those fringe sort of technologies that I never really uh, dived too deep into. Uh, I was lucky enough to dive into it more deeply during 2016. Um, I was actually studying like a, a PhD at the time and something totally unrelated um and it was getting to the point where i was spending way more time reading uh, about crypto and blockchain than what i should have been studying um and then my transferable skills were like communications i just thought you know i'm i'm gonna start writing about this i'm gonna start writing for some projects and the first project i really i guess went all in on and and really got involved in was cardano um obviously they're still around and, and grown loads today um and they were like sort of my introduction to like base layer protocols um from there i like sort of moved into the ethereum ecosystem i started checking out d apps i mean d apps in 2017 everyone wanted to build one no one really knew what they looked like um and then there was the security token fad so i've seen a lot of cycles i mean i often say to people you know i've worked in crypto for five nearly six years um and 
they look at me as if you know like people in other industries and like oh you're just starting out then that's not that long but in crypto i always say that's like a lifetime achievement award like it's <laughs> a long it feels like a long time and we've been through a lot of hype cycles um but yeah i'm, I'm still very much interested in crypto so nice yeah no doubt a year i feel like in the world of crypto is like 10 years in any other industry because mm, everything yeah. just moves so fast so you'll see a whole boom and bust like twice over in a year's time so um, absolutely yeah. but uh but i'd love to hear so i mean you've got a bit of a history um you know in different areas of the crypto space um you know learning a bit about different projects and being involved in those projects what made you take the leap to veracity earlier this year yeah it's a really good question so i worked for like a, a DeFi protocol just before uh, joining veracity um DeFi obviously is um super super interesting and, and there's loads of applications but the people who are like interested in DeFi, they're your like core crypto degens. Like I'm sure we've all heard that term. Um, and I was sort of always looking for something that had impact in the real world. So would go out and impact existing industries um, and really bring innovation to existing industries. Because I mean, when I first joined like the blockchain space, um, critics always said that blockchain was a solution looking for a problem. Um, so the, the companies to me that are actually solving real world problems with blockchain are some of the most interesting. Veracity is absolutely doing that. I think we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, and then the other angle was the esports angle. So um, I've been a, an esports enthusiast for quite a while. I play a lot of like uh, PUBG, um, CSGO, those kinds of games. Um, actually big into World of Warcraft as well, but not so much nowadays. Um, but yeah, Did I've really been into... on the new uh, expansion announcement or what? No, I haven't yet. Like I haven't had a chance to check it out. I actually sort of dabbled with, with Classic for a while because, um, yeah, I'm probably old enough to remember when Classic was the only World of Warcraft. So, um, but yeah, like I've been big into esports for, for a while. So, you know, the moves that Veracity was making into the into the esports space through Vera Esports were really interesting to me. Um, so I sort of thought, yeah, this has got a huge potential as a project. It's really out there doing things in the real world. Um, and I'd love to be involved in it. I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but I hadn't heard of Veracity, but then doing research for this interview, like I was blown away. You mentioned esports and the bio, I mentioned Vera wallets as well and Vera views. There's so much there. We're going to get into each of those individually, but to start, can you just give us some background on the history of Veracity, like how this thing came about? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, Veracity is sort of like, um, uh, it's, been built out into a whole ecosystem. So we can sort of think of it from the top down. Veracity at its core um, was founded to provide uh, ad fraud prevention. So advertising fraud is a is a huge problem. Um, I think we're going to talk about Vera Views a little bit later, which is our ad tech stack. Um, but Mark, who founded the company, he's our co-founder, David, Robert, and a few of the other team, they have a history of um, working in ad fraud, um, well, ad fraud prevention. So advertising stacks um, are 
pretty commonplace throughout the the wider tech industry, but they don't really have a, a blockchain element yet. And that's what Veracity is doing. Um, so then to gain adoption for this ad tech stack, uh, a whole host of other uh, things were needed. So we need to push traffic through. And um, esports is one of the fastest growing uh, entertainment you know, method, entertainment industry, sorry, uh, in the world. So that's really where the, the bulk of traffic is coming through now. It's these streaming sites like Twitch, like YouTube, who are hosting huge tournaments, hosting independent streamers, people like Ninja, people like PewDiePie. Um, and they're getting like tons of volume. And this is what like the newer generations want to watch, like over physical sports and over other content streams. They want to watch people playing games. So for us at Veracity, that's a really, really key way that we can test our proof of view advertising technology, um, which we're going to talk about more. But um, so that's why strategically we've gone into esports so that we can really push those views. Obviously, esports is um, interesting to us as well because we can offer NFTs and that sort of thing. So we're launching an NFT marketplace. And through that, we're going to make certain in-game items available to like our users and our community in partnership with some of these game partners that we're bringing to Vera Esports. That's how that links. Um, and then Vera Wallet is where you would keep all of these NFTs and your VRA tokens. So one of the other things I didn't mention there is we also have something called Watch and Earn. Uh, so you can watch... Uh, tournaments, game tournaments, and eventually other types of content through Vera Player, and you actually get rewarded in the VRA token to do that. So all you have to do is turn up, watch a tournament, say, obviously certain ads are served throughout the tournament, um, and instead of just like taking your attention and giving you nothing for it, uh, Veracity pays out VRA tokens. And they go onto the Vera wallet. So we've got this sort of like cascading ecosystem of products. Um, they all link back into each other. And we're going to tie them together more closely during the rest of this year as well. That's awesome. I didn't know coming in. Like I knew of the products through the, the research I did, but I didn't really understand how they all tied together. It's kind of cool to get a glimpse of that. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more as we dive into some of these specific questions. But before we get too into each product, I've got a question around um, my understanding here is that Veracity has the first patented protocol on the blockchain. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so it's actually the first patented like uh, ad tech protocol. So I think there's loads of protocols out there with patents, um, but we're the first one using blockchain technology uh, to fight advertising fraud. So that's called our, our proof of view module. Now, the proof of view module um, is a blockchain component. So it's part of their reviews. So Vera Views is our ad tech stack, which essentially is, it's our like um, B2B enterprise name for our product that fights ad fraud. Um, and that's comprised of 13 different modules, some of which are like common to like the existing advertising industry. So they're off chain, they don't live on the blockchain. And then there's the other components which come under proof of view, which is what the patent's for, and they're on-chain components. Um, so proof of view essentially takes all of the ad serve data. So nowadays, like um, there's some pretty sophisticated technology modules that can tell whether you're actually watching an ad 
on mobile, um, they've started doing it by seeing if you're actually looking at the screen, which is wow. maybe a little bit like scary. But um, on desktop, um, it basically means that you've got to have the the advert at the front of the screen. You can't have any overlays. You can't minimize it and this sort of thing. Um, so then what Proof of You does is it takes all of that data, all of that um, you know data about ads that have been served, and it aggregates and stores it on the blockchain. Now, why this is powerful is because currently in the advertising industry, um, it takes like six months for content creators to get paid. So say, for instance, you guys um, started running ads, say like on YouTube or something like that. Um, and then you had like exclusive deals. I don't think it works exactly like this on YouTube, but uh, just as an example. And then you run in a deal with... Um, I don't know, like crypto.com or something to advertise. It would take six months for you uh, getting viewers on those ads um, to actually prove that those people watched your ads and then for you to get paid. So can you imagine it's like content creators trying to make a living out of that, out of that ad serve and you've got a six month lead, but with blockchain and with proof of view, that data it's essentially put straight on the blockchain and then the advertisers can see it instantly. So, you know, payment times could be in the manner of like weeks rather than months. So that's our number one, like core unique selling point for proof of view. Uh, we've got paint and uh, uh, sorry, paint and protection in the USA and China now. So the two biggest advertiser markets, um, China, we're really particularly proud of because obviously they're like um, a little bit skeptical of some blockchain-based technologies, uh, but we've received patent approval there, um, and they're one of the biggest growing like ad ad markets in the world. So, uh, yeah, should be should be a bright future there. Yeah, congrats on that. It's so interesting to me, like the term ad fraud, right? Like it seems like it would cover a lot of different types of things because you you know you're just a typical user and you're like i don't want to watch this ad you minimize it like is that technically advertising fraud you know what i mean and like i guess another part of that question is is there like what is the scale of this problem like you mentioned it's a, a huge issue in terms of dollars um mm -hmm. and then are there people taking it to extremes where it's like like i would imagine there's things out there where people are just bought viewing a bunch of things maybe as an example, somebody starts a YouTube channel and then they're trying to monetize themselves or something along those lines. That seems just very basic. But can you just like dive deeper into like how big of a scale this problem actually is? Sure. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So um, in actual fact, yeah, it, it wouldn't be like you or I minimizing um, an ad. Uh, it's actually one of, uh, they predict that by 2030, it's actually going to be one of the biggest avenues for organized crime syndicates um, to make money is advertising fraud. Um, and the cost, like the yearly cost of ad fraud is around $65 billion. Um, so that's how much it costs advertisers each year in lost revenue. Um, the way I would put it in like simple terms is um, if like, you got a warehouse full of televisions, um, you put them all on at the same time, and then you went to like a Coca-Cola and said, we're running your ads on this many television sets, but there's no one in the warehouse, there's no one watching them. 
they just think that they're paying to go out to consumers, but they're actually going to no one. And yeah, like, so content creators or content platforms would maybe buy fake views to push through so that they can sell those fake views from these bot networks that are generated by bot networks who are like run by very organized syndicates. Um, and they would sell, they would then go to the advertiser and say, for instance, like, uh, look how much traffic we've got, you know, do you want to spend $50 million with us? Because we, we can put you in front of all these people, but only a small percentage of them are actually real. They estimate that the share of like global ad traffic, um, that is lost to fraud. So they call it invalid traffic is 11%. But we actually think it's probably much, much higher. Like some estimates say like 40%, um, so yeah, can you imagine like having a hundred million budget and like up to forty percent of that is just gone? You know, like yeah, forty million is just gone. So yeah, it's a huge problem, um, and it's only going to get bigger unless there's like a transparent way um, that ad fraud can be prevented. And it doesn't just hurt the advertisers. The advertisers obviously get burned because they're losing money. But then if a content creator um, you know, an honest content creator has to then try and convince that advertiser that their traffic's real. With proof of view, they won't have to convince them. They can actually prove that that traffic's real. So, um, yeah, we're pretty, like, the the actual addressable market for our solution is $65 billion. You know, just probably just in, like, the Western world, and that's going to be even bigger in China as they grow. You sort of answered my question there because what I was going to come back with is who is this actually really good for, right? Because to me, on the surface, it seems like advertisers. I mean, if I'm spending ad dollars, I want to know that people are actually seeing that. So it's a clear advantage. I see from the content creator side that you know the, the window that's shorter is great, not the six months. But I was going to say, does that not make it even harder for content creators who are just honestly putting out content who like maybe they're making a modest amount through YouTube advertising, just to keep using that as an example. But now if it's like, actually, <laughs> it's only 20% of what you thought people are watching these ads, is that is there a way that could cut in and actually be negative for content creators? Uh, for the honest content creators, no, it could only really be better for them. So the content networks, like content delivery networks that are pushing fake traffic, they're essentially bringing advertisers like spend down. So if they see that they're not making very good sales for like 100 million of ad spend, they'll just say, well, we're going to cut our ad budget down to 50 million because we think like 90, uh, you know, only 90% of our ads are getting through to real people or maybe even less. Um, but if they're making higher revenues because they're being served to more real people and more real people are actually going out and buying the products, they'll have more uh, budget to spend uh, with content creators. And they'll also trust content creators more. So what we want to get to is a point where um, an advertiser would say, oh, okay, like um, this content creator and, and some of these content creators, you know, we talk about them and um, they could be as big as like Sky or someone like that. You know, we're talking like really big networks that serve ads every single day, not just like 
small content creators are one, you know, demographic, but we're also talking about like multi-million dollar companies that produce content on demand, video on demand. Um, but for that advertiser, they can see, okay, they're looking, they're using uh, their reviews. So we know that like a hundred percent of their traffic is going to be real. So we're going to spend more money with them. So that's what we want to get like, uh, you know, up to the point of, we want to be like the de facto ad tech stack that people know as like sealer quality. We're also doing that through like professional body memberships. So a member of the Internet Advertising Bureau here in the UK, uh, we're heading to one of their events uh, next week. Actually, that's come up pretty fast. Um, and then we're uh, we're trying to get more involved with their standards body. So we're probably going to go for their gold standard certification. So really, we'll become like a household name in advertising circles. Um, and they'll know that if it's like powered by their reviews, then it's like quality and it is actually going to prevent ad fraud. And so I, I'm still just trying to uh, grasp, I guess, who is Veraviews for? Like, who is your audience? Is this the technology for the ad networks to then utilize, or is your or is Veraviews an ad network itself powered by this technology? You know, how, how exactly? You know, who's your audience, and how does that part work? Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good. Uh, that's a really good question. So, Veraviews is the is the ad tech stack. So it's like the ad delivery network essentially. So we're integrated now in this platform called Brightcove, which has like publishers use it. So like uh, some of the publishers that use it include the BBC here in the UK. Um, Dunkin' Donuts use it as well for their like video on demand content. Uh, UK TV, loads of really big uh, publishers and like content creators, uh, well, content networks. And what they can do is uh, they can just use a really simple plugin and use their reviews for all of their ad delivery. Um, so they would essentially like license their reviews. We would get like a, a revenue in that way. It's like sort of software as a service and like to compare it to traditional like software. Um, and we would get a portion of their total um, advertising like serve, if you know what I mean. Um, so they would negotiate like a deal with an advertiser and they'd say, look, we're going to serve that through their reviews, which is the ad tech stack that we're using. Um, and that's all embedded in a really easy to use interface that they can just switch on. So it's for content creators. It could also be, well, content networks. Um, and it could also be for the advertisers themselves. They could choose to run ads directly through their reviews uh, with selected publishers who we have partnerships with. Ulf, do you realize our audience has been either watching or listening to this episode for 20 minutes? 20 minutes? No, they should probably subscribe. Yeah, they should subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you comment and turn on notifications. And if you're listening to this podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. So go check out the episode description. You can find all that information below. And we have an update on the NFT, don't we? That's right. We didn't previously mention this, but this NFT for OG supporter is a one of one. There will only be one of this kind ever minted. And we have a few surprises for the person who purchases it. The link is in the episode description. And back to the episode. Yeah, so I have a question around Vera views in regards to, you know, going back to something you said earlier, which is people have criticized blockchain technology saying, you know, it's a solution looking for a problem. 
the way you've explained Vera views is that, you know, the real core sort of value prop here is around the fact that the views are authenticated. There's the proof of views. They're on the blockchain. So it's any, you know, the, the advertiser, whomever can go verify those or see that they're already verified and they're there. And so therefore there's faster payout time. Is that in itself, is that the main reason why the blockchain technology is being used here? Or is this not something that could just be built as a traditional SaaS software? Yeah, so, I mean, and these these sorts of like databases already exist in traditional like ad tech stacks, but the advertiser and the like the content delivery network, they would have to basically trust what each other, uh, what they tell each other. So say like a a content network, like, um, you know, like a big primetime television show that shows tons of ads they have all this data about ads and how many people it went out to and then they hand it over to the advertiser and they say this is our ad serve um go away and and you know believe it or not sort of thing whereas with proof of view because all of that data is logged as soon as it's like um as soon as a real view is logged through uh, throughout other modules proof of view as a module takes it and it stores it on the blockchain so that's fully transparent um an advertiser could go and actually verify on the blockchain and at the moment we use the side chain of ethereum um that that was a real ad so that'll be stored in, in metadata on the blockchain that that was a real ad um view so they no longer have to just blindly trust that the content network um has given them these views so not only does it prevent fraudulent views but then it also adds this layer of like um trustless you know uh technology where one party doesn't have to rely just on like trust and goodwill or the other i think that's really important in loads of blockchain things this trustless nature i mean trustless as a phrase like as a buzzword uh almost sounds bad like it removes trust from a from a business relationship but i mean many business relationships that are founded solely on trust um you know they they don't always go the way that one party would hope, you know, people and even companies can sometimes be dishonest, um, especially about maybe ad serve or something like that. And with a trustless and immutable layer through blockchain, we can remove that. So one party can just have like um, totally seamless access to the data whenever they need it. One of my understandings is that uh, Veracity is aiming to tackle the problem of NFT fraud as well. So maybe you can explain how that's done. And also just the stat I came across was that there was 100 million, which is much smaller than the whatever billion you said for, for ad fraud problem in general. But considering last year was kind of the what felt like the official start of NFTs, I know they existed back 2017 and even earlier, but that's quite a big problem, like $100 million um, on NFT fraud. So how does that work exactly? Like, how is the technology helping prevent that? Yeah, sure. That's a really good question. So we're going to be releasing our uh, NFT marketplace. It's called Veriverse. And this is also going to have like a minting function for NFTs. Um, And when you mint an NFT on the Veriverse, 
it'll be protected with proof of view technology. So it's going to have proof of view in the smart contract at the proof point of mint. Um, now to understand why that like uh, proof of view certified mint is important, um, it's worth looking at some statistics in the nft fraud industry so yeah like you say like 100 million um in in nft fraud already but what is nft fraud like anyone can go to an nft right click it save it and they've got a picture um of that nft now is that fraud i mean people have saved intellectual copy uh, intellectual copyright on the internet for you know since its existence However, what we're seeing is, and what um, the the current leading like marketplace for NFTs, just uh, OpenSea, have just said that up to eighty percent of new mints through their minting protocol um, are fraudulent. And what they mean by this is they're just blatant copies of existing work. So rather than people say getting a board ape, right click save, what they're actually doing is getting a board ape right-click save and then mint it as a new NFT and try and sell it as an original. So that's one major problem. The other major problem is people taking artwork and claiming it as their own. Um, so maybe existing artwork, someone could maybe like uh, try and rip off the Mona Lisa. Obviously, that's a ridiculous, um, you know, ridiculous uh, thing to say. But, you know, imagine someone's painted a picture in real life. Someone could take that and try and mint it as an NFT and pass it off as their own work. So we really need a way to stop this. And one of the ways that I always try and um, make it a, a simpler concept to understand is we need something like, um, you know, how when you go and buy, say, a bottle of wine um, from France, you can see that it's from the Bordeaux region. Um, and often it'll have like a little hologram on the bottle um, with like uh, either an RFD code, RFID code, or like a QR code that you can scan. And it's like a certificate of authenticity. And that sometimes is even backed up on the blockchain. We need something similar for NFTs. And that's what proof of view is going to be. So with proof of view, a user could uh, mint via proof of view certified mint. Um, they would then have that NFT stored in the Verivault, which is our own like custodial solution that we're building out for NFTs. Uh, the Verivault indexes the content. So it would have an index of when that exact piece of artwork was created and put on the blockchain. And that's certified through proof of view. Um, and then it was it basically records the nft creation and the original owner credentials and then it can track where that nft has been through its lifetime so it's essentially like supply chain traceability for nfts um and one of the things that's going to be most powerful about this is say you're the owner of an original board ape so you've got an actual real one we're going to allow retrospective um basically to pass it through proof of view and have it proof of view certified. So you're going to be able to do that retrospectively. So current people who own NFTs that are originals will be able to have them certified uh, through proof of view. That's like down the line functionality, but we are going to allow that. Um, and obviously all the ones minted through our Veriverse uh, NFT marketplace, they're going to have proof of view certification from that point of mint. So yeah, it's really powerful technology. Um, it uses the same patent as our proof of view for our ad tech stack, um, but it's essentially just that proof of origin of NFTs.
What I guess I'm trying to wrap my head around what that still means. Like what what does it mean to use the the proof of view protocol to have that origin data stored within the service? You know, is that just more metadata attached to the NFT or like I guess I'm still wondering in this use case, how does it help prevent fraud? Like I could still go steal a JPEG of the Mona Lisa and go mint it with proof of view. And, you know, like, so I'm not really totally following how it helps prevent the fraud aspect. Yeah, so I mean, proof of view would comb like well, our, our Vera um, vault would comb like existing artwork, so it could tell if you weren't the original creator and say, well, this has been around for two hundred years, so you definitely didn't make it yesterday. Um, but the the what we actually want to get to is the point where every single uh, NFT marketplace has proof of view certification as like um, a standard for nfts going through their marketplace so you wouldn't be able to sell an nft unless it had proof of view certification so it's sort of like a, a worldwide standard a little like um i don't know if you guys have it in canada but in the us uh, sorry in the uk we have the iso standards so the iso standards go on products and you can't sell that product unless it's iso certified um you could try you could sell it peer-to-peer you could go down like your local market and sell a product that wasn't iso certified but you'll never get it into a shop no one like professional will ever touch it we need something similar for nfts and that can be proof of view so if you want to buy like an official nft um through an official marketplace then yeah it has to be or hopefully we want it to get to the point where it has to be proof of view to me there's a lot of use cases that are popping into my mind i mean the probably the most relevant one for myself was uh, when I was trying to purchase just like a, a, a version of like a rare Pepe kind of thing. And to do it through OpenSea, I was going through something called Emblem Vault and like just the process to make sure you're getting a legit one seemed like, like I don't claim to be overly intelligent in the space at all, but like I know a little bit and like for me it was super confusing and everything along those lines. So I think that that verification piece is important. I want to give you just a quick two-part question um, to kind of wrap up this topic, but first off, is OpenSea open to that type of thing? Like you mentioned, your goal is to get them embedding that. Like, is this something that that they're showing warmth to that idea? And then the second part, maybe you could just finish with, um, you know, what safety tips do you have out there for people? Like, obviously this technology is not there yet, but like, what can they do now to make sure they're not minting one of the 80%, you know, that are, that are fraudulent? Yeah, sure. That's a really good question. So we haven't had discussions with like other other NFT marketplaces yet. I mean, our first focus is going to be to launch our own NFT marketplace um, and our own minting protocol. Um, I don't see why like the NFT industry as a whole would shun such a such a thing. I think it would sort of get to the point where we would have peer-to-peer protocols like we've got Uniswap. Anyone can create a token um, and sell it on Uniswap if it's an ERC-20 token. Um, everyone knows there's a good deal of like Uniswap scams out there like uh, well no sorry scam projects which go through uniswap uh, as their first port of call um 
but Uniswap itself isn't responsible for that. Um, but then you've got other projects which launch, you know, like a serious token, and maybe they launch first on like a, a centralized exchange, something that can be like that custodian to make sure that quality is is maintained. Um, so I think that it will sort of get to a point where NFT marketplaces, similarly to DEXs versus centralized exchanges, will have to make that um, they'll have to make that choice about which route they want to take. Do they want to only offer like um, NFTs that have been proven to be from curated collections that are real, or do they want to offer every single NFT and maybe there's loads of fraudulent ones in there? So I don't think that it's gonna, you know, like sweep i don't think it's going to push out like peer-to-peer marketplaces obviously some people will still want to buy those like smaller batch mints um that maybe don't want to go through the process of getting proof of you verified and that's fine there's still going to be a market for that but for you know when you're talking parting with thousands of dollars of of like usdt or something for an nft you want to know that that's certified, especially when you get into the realms of like tens of thousands of dollars or even hundreds of millions, which some NFTs go for. There needs to be like this this standard um, certification. And then onto the second part of your question, um, it's a really good question. I mean, I don't actually know um, how you would do that other than following along with some of the like the official channels that do like nft drops and this sort of thing and just following the official links and these sort of things and the official um ones that they they share so OpenSea and and loads of other nft marketplaces they do like official drops that drop at a certain time obviously you can be sure that they're real but it's then when you move on to the secondary market and peer-to-peer markets that you might think that you buy like yeah like a a really rare board ape and it's not sort of thing so i think that's where the issues come in when you get to the secondary market all right, let's jump into esports. Esports is a huge industry. It's growing tons, but not everyone knows that. Can you maybe paint a picture for those of our audience who maybe aren't so familiar with esports? You know, just how big is this? Uh, you know, is that world, and uh, and why is something like you know, the technology Veracity is building important to esports? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, esports um, is growing like basically exponentially. I think I read um, earlier this week that it's actually taken over the NBA now in terms of viewership. Um, so, wow. tons and tons of people are, are tuning into esports tournaments. Now, there's a, a few different types of like esports uh, content. There's like user generated content, which is like um, people on like YouTube and Twitch, um, and maybe in the future, very esports that basically they're like a, a personality, like a, a an influencer or like a streamer, um, and they make like user-generated content. Um, and then there's also like official tournaments from games developers. So like we've got like Riot Games um, or Steam, these sort of things, PUBG, um, like Crafton Games. And those are like official tournaments where like official um teams play so you have like playoffs around the world and it's just like sports teams um and sometimes now even bigger than original sports teams um and these teams get sponsorship they play like proper matches that people tune in on it's a bit like watching like a football match 
um, where you've got one team versus the other and they're playing an, an esports game. Um, so those are the, like the two main content streams. Uh, there's also coming up and it's not really, um, it's it's like sort of like a blurred line between esports and just watching people do their things. So there's like loads of streamers now that just sort of chat. They're playing a game casually. Um, they're just like sort of just chatting with their fans. That's also becoming absolutely huge as well. Um, so there's a massive opportunity here for like advertising. Um, the route that we're going down is through the official route of like contacting and getting partnerships with uh, games developers and broadcasting their tournaments from specific geographic regions. This we see as probably being like the most important one for driving traffic, but also for like advertising. So we can use our bear views, our tech stack on that. Um, and also for signing those deals with like games developers so that we can get exclusive like in-game items to mint as NFTs and make available through our bear reverse NFT marketplace. Um, so some of the, the, you know, one of the partners that we've got at the moment uh, is Riot Games. Obviously they make League of Legends. Uh, they do Valorant as well, which is what we've been streaming on Vera Esports um, and they're owned by, by Tencent. Um, and we're also in talks with, you know, other esports uh, game developer companies that want to run esports tournaments. Um, so this is just such a huge and like rapidly changing industry. Um, but yeah, we think that focusing on tournaments and making them so that you can't watch them anywhere else except for Vera Esports um, is like a key strategy that we're going to go after. Uh, so we streamed the Valorant Champions Tour um, and that's still ongoing. There's a couple of like legs left of that tour. Um, and we stream like the APAC region to so the a Asia Pacific. Um, so yeah, that was one of our like exclusive content deals that we got on Vera Esports. Very cool. Gaming's an interesting one because I remember about a year ago, maybe even a year and a half ago, Alf and I were having a conversation and and it was kind of that mental model that finally clicked into space or into place for us, like why an NFT could be valuable. And that was, you know, we're using Fortnite as an example. And well, people are clearly like our friends are paying money for Fortnite skins. This is something clearly like they want their digital flex or for whatever reason. And how much sense would it make to be able to own that digital item? But then you start to think about where that could go from there. Sure, you can sell that on a secondary, but maybe you can take that into a different game and then it has different utility and all those sorts of things. Can you paint a picture for us? Like, because this is one thing we always like love to do with guests is just kind of like, crystal ball gaze into what the future could look like, but like, how do you see NFTs playing a role in gaming in the future? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there is that element of it, like having that transferability at the moment. Um, if you like players spend hours and hours, like collecting in-game items. And then one day the developers could wake up, say there's no money left in the pot, pull the plug and walk away and all of that user-generated content is gone. Um, if that were NFTs, they would still be there on the blockchain. Maybe like uh, community groups could like be spun off and, you know, carry on the game or like make user, uh, like user community-based servers and that sort of thing. 
bring those NFTs and items that they've worked really hard to get into like a new game or a game like a, an old game that they've built out of server for. So that's one element of it. The other element is just um, allowing content creators like free reign. So some of like the in-game skins and artwork, and this sort of thing that people have like made for like CSGO and some of these classic games like multiplayer games are absolutely crazy. And there's tons out there at the moment they sit on like marketplaces like uh valve like steam marketplace um but we could actually empower content creators and and people who want to make those like skins and things to make like an nft series out of them so they could sell them to other players say they've got really cool design for like i don't know like an in-game helmet or something for like PUBG, which is something i play a lot uh, if it that was on an NFT marketplace and then available in game, um, you know, a really talented designer could make that helmet design and then uh, monetize it so they could sell it. So that's another another one. And then what we're really interested in is like um, actual official drops. So say Riot Game had like a Valorant uh, tour. Anyone who turns up at the arena gets a code where they can redeem like, um, you know, an, an in-game item because they actually turned up um, to a physical event. They already do that. They issue those items, but they're not stored on the blockchain, so you can't own them indefinitely. So, I mean, what I would probably say is, and maybe we're actually taking a step back rather than like looking into the crystal ball and going forward. Uh, I watched the first Pokemon, probably showing my age now, but (laughs) I watched the first Pokemon movie in the cinema when it came out when I was a kid. um, And they gave everyone who turned up like um, a shiny Mewtwo Pokemon card. Um, I've still got that card, but if I had been issued something in a game back in, I don't know when it was, like, was it early 2000s or like late 90s? I can't remember, but um, I guarantee the game servers for that game would have shut down. I would have lost uh, that item. It would have been gone like into the electronic ever, um, you know, and, and that would have been a shame really. So with an NFT, we can actually ensure that it lives on, on the base protocol. So, you know, that's not owned by anyone. It's decentralized. Um, I think as long as they're internet, things like Ethereum is going to be running. So it basically takes things like, uh, trading cards would be like a physical item and makes them you know immutable like immutable and there forever on the blockchain um so that's where i see like there being real value that we can hand things down and they're not the mercy of just like a centralized entity anymore do you have any idea what that pokemon card is worth like what people are flipping it for that type of thing on ebay these days no idea (laughs) no idea no no my mom's got it somewhere i think (laughs) (laughs) nice so i got a question since we're on the topic of nfts and games you know everything we've talked about sounds pretty awesome it's awesome for the players who wouldn't want that And that seems to be the case whenever at least I talk about NFTs and gaming. But if you look at any news headline around any game company who's talked about, you know, introducing NFTs to their games, it's gone really bad. This is like Mm -hmm. it's like gamers hate the idea. And I don't understand why. Maybe I don't understand what those companies were proposing. But do you do you have any familiarity with that? And what's your take? 
Yeah, so I think there's a few different like elements at play here. So for one, I think that a lot of gamers have have like seen all the negative headlines about NFTs going for ridiculous sums of money. Um, we're talking about NFTs that would be, you know, like some of them would be ultra rare, of course, and they'd have high valuations, but many of them would be like your everyday transactions. Like there's already the Steam marketplace um, where you can buy items like loot chests and this sort of thing uh, for very reasonable sums of money. And there is millions of dollars of transaction volume to there. So that's one. Um, as we see like uh, layer two scaling solutions for Ethereum and like other cheaper blockchains, uh, the transactions to buy um, those NFTs will be as cheap as buying it from a centralized marketplace. So that's one I think is the cost involved and the ridiculous valuations. But I think that is going to um, sort of, you know, like pan out over the, the medium term. The other one is that the infrastructure just isn't there. So um, I was talking about this on another podcast. So um, I found it really interesting. I was doing some research for this, pretty much this exact question. Um, and the first game console to offer internet gaming was actually an Apple device. It was called the Apple Pippin. Um, and it was back in like the late 90s. So the Apple Pippin was like this revolutionary gaming device that offered uh, player-to-player like internet gaming. Um, and it was a total flop. Like barely anyone bought it. And it was because the people at home, they only had like dial-up. You know, they could barely even load like uh, like one megapixel uh, web page. So there just wasn't the infrastructure there to even play games. So the user experience was terrible. Um, and it wasn't until some years later that the internet-based gaming became like just the thing to do. Like you can't really find a game with split screen now because everyone plays with their friends online. Um, and we're at a similar point with NFTs. So NFTs have usability, just like internet gaming had usability, but until now they've been a bit ahead of their time. Um, the infrastructure hasn't been there to make them useful, but more importantly, to make them like a seamless experience. You've still got to interact with like Web3 wallets. There's still not an easy way to like get an NFT with fiat. You have to like convert it. You have to go through all these hoops, transaction costs, this sort of thing. So although like the utilities there, the actual infrastructure is still like pretty crap across the board especially if you're a gamer you just want to play your game you just want to get an item it needs to be easier so that's one of the things that we're working on with veriverse we're going to make it easier than ever for people to interact with nfts um but i think that's been one of the major stumbling blocks now is we're basically asking people who know nothing about crypto. Um, I know that's a broad generalization. I'm sure there's loads of gamers who are interested in crypto, uh, but we're going out to this broad audience and asking them to adopt an entirely new technology, um, even though we're not making it any easier for them to do that. So I think that's the the point we're at as an industry. Like um, I would compare us to like early internet gaming. Yeah. Elliot, well explained. That makes that makes perfect sense. And you know what? What I find fascinating is that 
you've been with Veracity since January 1st. They're already putting you up as the spokesperson uh, for the project, which is pretty impressive, but you haven't stumbled on any of these. You know you know what's happening inside and out. So kudos to you on that. Uh, we like to end every episode of Show Me the Crypto with the same three questions we ask every single guest. It's a segment we call You Had Me at Crypto. So Ulf's going to ask you those questions. All right, you ready? Yeah, ready. <laughs> All right. The first question, who's your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, uh, obviously, like I'm contractually obliged to say my boss, uh, Mark. Um, I'm not Other sure, than your actually. Boss. <laughs> yeah. So um, I mentioned at the start of the podcast that I'm really into like the Cardano ecosystem. I still follow it along. I work with those guys for, for a year. Uh, some really great guys at the foundation. I think as a layer two, uh, sorry, as, as like a, a protocol, um, they're really interesting. And one of the most controversial, but I think intelligent figures um, in the crypto space is Charles Hoskinson. Um, there's some great insights, but also some great, um, let's say, discussions that he kicks off with people. And he's not afraid to uh, tell people when he thinks they're wrong um, or they've approached the problem in the wrong way. So I really like uh, following some of yeah Charles's escapades, I think are probably the right word. Um, and I think he's um, like, a, like not doesn't get as much recognition as he, he should. Uh, so that's probably my answer. Yeah. This isn't one of the three questions they usually ask in the end segment, but I have to throw it in. Why do you think Cardano gets so much shade? I think because of the time that it probably launched. So, I mean, it launched around, um, you know, like 2017 is when it launched and Ethereum was really like at that point building out a smart contract ecosystem. And it already had like this, this budding and really, um, you know, core developer base that had started building out on Solidity. And then Cardano came and said, wait, no, you should all be building in Plutus um, and you should all be building in Haskell. And Cardano has this focus on like uh, an academic approach and also like formal methods, um, which is quite different to Ethereum. And I just think they're basically two very different schools of thought. And I think that's where all of like the... Uh, I would say like rivalry has stemmed from. Um, yeah, that's my two cents on on that anyway. Yeah. That's fair. And uh, just to plug it, since you mentioned Charles Hoskinson, we did do an interview with him. It was a year ago now, but it was a great interview. Um, and he was a great guest. Very interesting indeed. So check it out. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, the second question here. All right. What will the price of Bitcoin be 10 years from now? Mm, yeah, that's a good good question. I mean, I always try and shy away from like price related questions. Um, but that's the beauty about this one. It's ten years out. There's no <laughs> we're, pressure. We're all going to be wrong. This clearly isn't financial advice. It's throwing a dart at us. <laughs> yeah. I think. Um, I think like probably uh, with my yeah like uh, PR and comms hat on, where I try not to be. Um, like give a concrete answer to, to things like this. I would say as long as it's uh, higher than um, than the inflation would be on fiat, whatever fiat money I've got in the in the bank would be good. But I think that we're definitely going to see it go past its current like its 
past all time highs, uh, if nothing else, because, you know, in 10 years, I think we'll have another halving. So, um, yeah, I think we could get like another pump after that. The scarcity is always going to be going down as well as more people acquire Bitcoin. So I wouldn't want to put an exact number on it, but I definitely think it'll be higher than it's past all time lines. Yeah. It's all right. I understand. You're basically saying <laughs> 500,000. <000. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> all right. Third question. What is the most underrated coin or project in all of crypto? Um, I would probably say like obviously naturally i would say veracity um other than veracity naturally. you gotta say yeah, something uh, yeah uh other than veracity i'm not sure really like um yeah i mean i'm really interested in like uh crypto.com so uh, mm. we actually just listed on crypto.com on veracity so um and i'm like a crow holder as well um and like i use their cards a lot and they had that really good run up like a few months ago um and then it's sort of like the the whole crypto market took a big dump um and they haven't really recovered those those all-time highs since but in the meantime they've rolled out the Kronos network which has already got loads of DeFi protocols building on it uh they've got some wicked stake in through their DeFi app um so that for me is sort of like um i don't see why a lot of other alts have sort of recovered and they've they've like um they haven't recovered their all-time highs from that like mini run-up we had but they've definitely recovered more like against bitcoin and that sort of thing than than crow has um so i find that pretty interesting just from a point of view of they've deployed loads of like technology and this sort of stuff um and they've deployed like their own network but they're not seeing much growth so yeah do you think that the cro token uh i don't want to like speculate um manipulation but being centralized uh as crypto.com is uh, i believe they can issue out new tokens whenever they want uh, do you think that there's risk there, um, you know, going into a project that is maybe centralized in nature with how they issue their tokens? Yeah, I mean, I think when you're looking at like centralized projects, I mean, I mean, Binance coin would be the same, you know, BNB would be in, in a similar boat. Um, and even Ethereum, like the Ethereum Foundation, don't have an upper limit on how many Ethereum can be minted. Like if you look on coin market cap, it's got an infinite supply. I know that's slightly different because it's DAO run, like it's it's totally decentralized. Um, but with like centralized exchange coins i think you've got to take that trust factor which is ironic because we talked about trustless before and how blockchain does that um but i do think when you're like dealing with like binance or crypto.com like they're regulated entities um you know obviously if you're like uh buying some like really unknown exchange token that launched like last month and they're not regulated anywhere like obviously approach it with caution um and that's not to say that the, the bigger exchanges um don't do what they want either but i think that they're they're more heavily regulated um and this is something actually that uh it's pretty interesting in the uk like the chancellor of the exchequer here in the uk um has just basically put out a, a request for like crypto experts to go and talk about how they can more heavily like not regulate crypto assets but assets that are issued by centralized crypto companies and how they can like um 
basically help people stop getting defrauded by that. So I think they're more closely under the eyes now of regulators than ever. Uh, so I get the feeling they they know they need to play by the book, basically. Yeah. Well, Elliot, this has been an awesome conversation. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to follow along now that Veracity is on my radar to watch kind of all the things that you're involved with. But thank you so much for taking the time to chat with Alf and I on this episode of Show Me the Crypto. Thanks, guys. It's been a really, really great podcast. Um, great to be here. Thank you for listening to Show Me the Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast. 